Today's tip of the week comes from Matt Gillen, one of the smartest audience growth strategists in the business and the CEO of Little Monster Media. As Matt says, as YouTube becomes more and more feed-based, and he points to shorts as a prime example, it becomes much more like all those other auto-playing social video platforms out there. In the autoplay environment, the traditional YouTube marketing elements that we all stress on so much, including title and thumbnail, become a lot less important in the long run. Therefore, outside of paid, marketing on YouTube really becomes about what's in the content. Telling the audience who you are, what they can expect, when they can expect it, and why they should be excited about what's coming next is absolutely vital. It's the next phase of YouTube marketing, and according to Matt, it's also branding at its best. Welcome to Inside the Creator Economy on Fireside. I'm Jim Lauterbach, and it's great to have you here. Hello, and I'm Cassie Roma. It is great to join you again this week, Jim. Hey, what'd you think of that tip from Matt? You know, Matt, do you buy the titles and thumbnails are becoming less important and YouTube's really becoming feed first? I do. I like it. I feel like it's almost a going back to good. Like you actually have to engage people and tell them what's going on and give them an idea of what the value exchange is going to be. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of where it's headed. Yeah, really interesting because everybody really does stress so much on their titles and thumbnails and maybe we don't need to do that as much anymore. Yeah, I, maybe people are like beyond the flashy stuff and they want to know what they're getting. I like it. Yeah, what they're getting. Well, I know we're getting to the first story. So here it is. <laughs> So for this first story, Cassie, I want to flash on both Milan Kundera and Joni Mitchell. Never thought I'd use those two in the same sentence. <laughs> Neither did I. <laughs> but I think I could title this either The Unbearable Blandness of TikTok or Does TikTok Really Have a Deliberate Star-Making Machinery? And props if you can come up with both of those references. But here's the thing. And I was flashing on this really interesting story that insider reporter Kat Denbarge wrote where she finds TikTok promotes what she calls invasive mediocrity. I thought that was really interesting. Invasive mediocrity. She thinks that there's some crazy wizard behind the curtain pushing up Bella Porch and Megan Thee Stallion and Charlie D'Amelio and really referring to that as, you know, as them out there moving all the levers behind the scenes. She's not the only one. Music industry expert Bob Lefsetz recently referenced a, quote, highly managed curation process that turns songs into hits. Now, look, yes, TikTok was very clearly the first programmed social video platform. The algorithm does have this uncanny ability to keep serving you things that'll keep you watching. But I think these hits actually come from closely watched user data, not some secret top-down cabal. So trying to define TikTok with any precision to me is kind of like the blind men trying to describe an elephant. Everybody likes a different TikTok, so everybody thinks the elephant is something different. I don't think you can ascribe a global intent to this. And I think that opacity really creates rampant speculation. But, you know, until people can actually know what's going on and there's transparency, which I don't think is even going to happen, we'll see these conspiracy theories, but I'm not buying any of them yet. How about you, Cassie? What do you think about this? I'm with you on this one. I, I'm not really convinced on the conspiracy theory about I love the way that it was written as well. It was, you know, it's a phenomenon that's bred endless controversy, pervasive relevancy, and invasive mediocrity. I was like, wow, that's a great use of the English language. As a logophile, I was like, sweet, you got me. But from like a conceptual side of things, I'm with you, Jim. Everybody's TikTok is different. Everybody's vibe is different. The way that people show up from a content perspective is different. And we talk a lot about community and community first. 
I think that, like you said, unless somebody pulls back the curtain and really does show the great and powerful Oz, I think there's something around more of what communities find palatable. And that is why things like this are happening. That's why people are rising to the top that potentially this writer thinks is mediocre. But at the same time, you know, when you go to a buffet, everything can't be spicy, right? You got to spice up your meal. So I feel like, yeah, I'm with you on this one. That's a good way to put it. And I do think the TikTok folks are reacting to what they see. Yes, they're pushing things in certain directions for sure, right? So, but this is what we used to do when I ran magazines and websites is if it was a lead up to Halloween, we would roll out the carve your pumpkin videos. If it was Christmas, we'd do shopping stuff. And that's what they've been doing with their hashtag challenges and other things. So props to them for programming it. They also have access to all this great data so they can look at You know, they may think and the people running the music industry might think that a certain song is going to go big on a collection of songs. We used to call those a record or a CD. I'm just calling them a collection now. And but it may be a song, another song that the users end up saving and deciding they want to use for what they have. So I actually think it's less of a some demonic Wizard of Oz in the background trying to make the rise of mediocrity and certain songs rise to the top. And instead, some pretty smart programmers, technologists figuring out how to surface what people really like. And with the tweaks from an editorial group helping to build something that is really unique for everybody, but has almost a little bit of a universality to it, at least in some ways. Yeah. And that feels like kind of the way that most big media has always worked. You know, even predating social media, you had to have an aspect of like macro storytelling plus curation plus cultural context. Like you said, with your Halloween examples, it it just makes sense. I, yeah, I don't think there's a big controversy towards mediocrity here. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Let's move on to the next story. All right. Well, this was just a little fun one I saw this morning because it kept kind of trending for some reason in my Google alerts. And it's about the laws in Florida, where some of the social media, some of the folks who are making the laws are trying to get social media platforms, uh, I don't know, kind of maybe tied up a little bit and have a little bit more information around who they can and can't ban, quote unquote, from their platforms. And one of the funnier articles that came off of the back of a lot of speculation around who, why, where, et cetera. I think we know who got banned from a lot of social media that some of these lawmakers potentially want back on. But one of the loopholes around deplatforming some people was that if you own a large, say like a Disneyland, a theme park or an entertainment venue, be exempt from this. So it was just a little tongue in cheek piece on deplatforming and then how Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube could get around this all together by creating one big quote-unquote social media Disneyland park. It made me giggle, but then it also made me think a little bit more deeply around how we actually, from a creator perspective, from a community perspective, and then from a platform ownership perspective, who actually is in charge? Can governments really regulate this if they're already baking in loopholes? I'm just very curious about this. Yeah, it's a little bit also just people have a little bit more context. It's the crazy state of Florida trying to pass this law, right? And, you know, crazy state of Florida saying, well, we're going to keep you from deplatforming politicians and algorithmically ranking content. But (laughs) if you have a theme park, you're exempt because Disney World's a huge part of Florida and Orlando and Texas. 
I actually, I think the story itself is definitely sobering, but I think the story's hilarious. They started coming up with, well, what would a Twitter land look like or Facebook world or TikTok <laughs> land? And then what would their rides be? I got to say, one of my favorite rides, Facebook world, all the rides suddenly pivot to video without warning. <laughs> and I, I like Twitter land whack-a-mole instead of block a troll like it was this is just really clever and funny but it does open up the conversation much more wider than just you know <laughs> political <laughs> contributions to go hey, we can giggle at this but it, it's actually happening we have people in the government trying to bring this to light and you just go how is this going to happen what's going to happen who's going to be in charge i am watching this with fin i can't even think of words right now i'm just watching it and hoping the world stays sane all right. Well, how long has it been since you've lived in America? I'm 14 years, 15 years? Almost 20. Almost 20. Florida has become a little bit of an outcast pariah state. But it's a great place, and there are a lot of great people that live there, but it's got a little wack. I mean, it's always been wackadoodle. I mean, if you remember, I don't know if you've read Dave Barry or if you've read the guy who wrote Skin Tight and Striptease. Great authors. Both of them were actually journalists at the Miami Times or Herald or whatever their newspaper is. But it's always been a little out there, a little crazy. I'm not overly concerned that this will become law around the U.S. I do think that we have the First Amendment for a reason. But I also think that I really want Clubhouse to have their own Clubhouse because according to The Verge, it's going to be one infinity room where you enter and all you hear are men talking to you over and over about Bitcoin, which I certainly don't want to go to. I am not going to that Clubhouse. I'm sorry, Cassie. I can't take this story seriously. I mean, come on. No, me neither. I mean, TikTok <laughs> land, a hall of mirrors oh. that shunts you through random rides with absolutely no information or warning, <laughs> gradually tuning your experience using the sophisticated biometric monitor in your admission wristband. It sounds scary, actually. I just want to jump into this person's brain, the Pinterest park. It's just a bunch of themed photo booths that produce those little photo strips. But you have to wait in line and read 200 words before you can even ride the recipe roller coaster. I mean, this just sounds like the most fun thing to write ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It reminds me of one of the earliest columns I did when I was writing for a newspaper that was, it was, and it was a tech newspaper. So it was as if operating systems, because back in the days of OS2 and Linux and Windows, and everybody was really concerned about operating systems. If operating systems were like cars, I cannot remember all the details. But again, it had that sort of, let's take something that we all know over here and just twist it around into something that's funny over here. It's brilliant. Yeah, I loved it. So there wasn't real depth to this topic other than Florida's a little cray. But I thought this was a very cleverly written article. Yeah, I agree. Let's move on. I can't take this story seriously, and it's a holiday here. So let's uh, talk about our big story. So this one, this big idea topic I've entitled, She Likes Me, He Likes Me Not. And here's the thing. I was so actually excited and impressed that Instagram started testing turning off likes and that Facebook was looking into it as well, because really the, the like has become such a psychologically dangerous thing on social platforms because you post a picture and somebody else posts a picture and their life looks more fabulous than you and they get more likes than you. And every one of those likes is a little squirt of dopamine. If you don't get the likes, it's kind of like you're not getting the squirts of dopamine. It can turn your brain into mush. So I thought that doing away with this scorecard that happens with every single post you see was a really, really good idea. 
But unfortunately, what seemed like a good idea has basically been, well, it's devolved into an opt-in option. So you and your friends can hide like counts on Facebook and Instagram. But when you make it optional, it's not going to make social media healthier. It's not going to make it friendlier. Now, why did Facebook and Instagram back away from a full-on ban on likes? Because a lot of creators and influencers complained. Oh, people won't know how much influence I have if you turn the likes off. Now it's just one of those many preferences. You got to go into the preference menu. You got to find it. Users won't take advantage of it. (laughs) I mean, look, it's better than nothing, but I really see an opportunity lost here. How do you see this, Cassie? I'm going to unmute myself. I had myself on mute because, of course, the gardener has decided to show up and trim all the hedges right behind me. So if it's too loud, just let me know. Ask the gardener um, if, he, if the gardener has an opinion <laughs> and wants to come on. <laughs> Can you turn that off and come have a chat to us? This is a big one, Jim, because I believe when they started to roll this out, they rolled it out first in my side of the world. So Australia, New Zealand, were some of the first kind of, we were the experimental beta test group on this. And when the likes first went away in a smaller marketplace like New Zealand, I'll tell you the brands, the agencies, the influencers, quote unquote, themselves, folks like me who were working in marketing and social and digital kind of sponsorship at the time, everybody went, if we don't have that number that we know does not actually equate to brand love or community true engagement or depth. If we don't have that little sweet fix, and what are we going to put on our pitch documents? What are we going to put in our wrap up? How are exactly what you just said is like, how do we navigate the world now if we can't see a like? And so it became, it went from folks having this really easy way of going, oh, yep, you got 10,000 likes. That means we're going to give you more money than the person that got 3,000. And we started to actually have to look into things like resonance and conversation and the depth of kind of the ripples that people were putting into the world. And I saw a change for the better in this market with the rollout of likes going back onto these platforms. I've seen people going back to a much more materialistic view of the world. I've seen people go back to a really almost lazy, laissez-faire way of pitching who they are and what they can offer to brands. And I mean, this has only been a week, a week and a half of going back to that. And if we break it down even further, because I do a lot of work with influencers and creators and market, the mental health aspect of this is huge. The, like you called it, the dopamine squirt, it's like a fire hose for folks who live and work and breathe in this. I've seen it firsthand with the TV show I've just done and the contestants who are just, they are supping from a dinner table of dopamine all of the time. And now that the likes are back, you can see that their mental health is already starting to deteriorate. They are starting to do that big thing where that comparison trap is something that we, you know, there's a big article on. And I think it it goes beyond just the likes and everything, but comparison is just, it's not a good, it's a thief of joy. And let me tell you, (laughs) it's back now that the likes are back. Yeah, it's a thief of joy. You're absolutely right. I do want to stop here for a second and say, if any of our listeners want to come up and talk about this, it's a big topic for sure, but it's an important one. And Cassie, I don't know, I'm racking my brain thinking, okay, well, maybe taking likes away is something that Maybe we won't be able to do, but what could we possibly replace it with that would be healthier? I kind of feel like we've kind of let the evil out and, you know, we've opened Pandora's box and it's out. And I've thought about this a bit, Jim, and I don't know what we could replace it with. If there was a one-for-one replacement, 
I think what's happening in society as a whole is that we're starting to have more conversations, especially with young people, about the importance of knowing what's real versus what's not, about how you feel when maybe you get 250 likes on one photo on Instagram and you only get 25 on the next, and understanding those feelings and being a lot more cognizant of what that means and how to navigate that. I know as I call myself um, a geriatric millennial, but I was told I am a foundational millennial, so I'm going to go with that. (laughs) Okay. As a foundational millennial, Jim, who can walk the line of knowing the before (laughs) life and the afterlife, I start to notice a lot of the time, too, when my mental health suffers with likes and comments. And you go, wow, that was the most clever tweet I've ever sent, and crickets. Nobody's paying attention. Then you go, am I not funny? Am I not worthy? And then you go, ah... It's the dopamine. Stop. Slow down. I don't know if it's a replacement. Yeah, or it's the lack of dopamine, right? Ariel is joining us. Ariel, what do you think about this? And any thoughts on what you would do, how you would do it differently? Well, here's the thing. I have a YouTube channel and it's called Revolutionary Thingy. I do an Ariel the Avalanche thing, but it's really like talking into a void. You know what I mean? Whereas I think a lot of social audio is so much better for me because I get that real time kind of engagement where I can see what people are thinking and what people are saying. Whereas you shout into that void and then what's the void going to bring back at you? Yeah, I love that. It's a good point. And it's interesting the way that we're trying it out here with Fireside where we have responses and we have the little bubbles and things like that. I'm not sure as everything grows if that's going to be better or worse, but I don't see any rankings. There's nothing here. And on some of the audio platforms, to your point, Ariel, there's nothing that shows rankings of who's better and who's not. Although, you know, you look at some of them, you see the number of people listening, but there's definitely a better way to do it than just tossing it out into the void. Yeah. And you know, when social media first came out, I said, wow, I can do something other than, you know, because for social media, people were shouting at the news person on their TV saying, why don't you say this? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? But it's like, you know, they're not listening to you. You're just shouting at a screen. But then I finally thought that Facebook and Twitter were finally like, oh, I get to talk. But then I was like, what is this? Pictures of cats, pictures of food, pictures of this. It's like, And then the politics did come in, but it was so toxic. But then when, you know, some of this long form things came out and when Fireside started doing what it was doing, I said, for a guy like me who likes going into the nuances, doing long form and getting opinions, like this felt like a godsend, (laughs) to be honest. So it feels like more actual connection for you. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And that's so important to me because like, let's say I had like 200 super fans that would donate, that do want to talk, that do want to have fun with me. And I get to participate with the heavy hitters instead of more of the randos that you get on social media. That makes me happy. Yeah. I like the idea of uh, the communication, the actual connection, because what you're doing then there is you feel seen, right? And you feel like you're part of a valuable conversation and that you actually have a crowd of people that accept you for who you are. And I think that was the beautiful aspect of social media when it started for me as an expat in New Zealand was I was married to a fellow who was quite a bit older than me and was a rugby player and beautiful humans, but that wasn't me. And I found my friends on Twitter because it was all so new and I could find people who were like me. And that was before it got a little bit, maybe as you said, like toxic. So I think that's the beautiful part of social. And if we can get back to that, regardless of platform, then that's where humanity hits that sweet spot. 
Hit the nail on the head, Cassie. Yeah. By the way, what part of New Zealand are you in? I'm in Auckland. Oh, I've been there once. I had a friend who lived in Davenport. At, he worked at the New World's Market. Oh, how funny. That's <laughs> where so my nephew works at the Davenport New World. <laughs> oh, wow. Maybe they know each other. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. Jim, you've probably been there. Yeah, I probably have. You know, I have a, I just invited Boyce up as well, but I have a question. You were talking about Ariel YouTube, and I was thinking, remember when YouTube, maybe they still do this, I don't know, but they wouldn't start counting views until after a certain number, whether it's 300 or 1,000 or whatever it is. I'm not sure. It may have gone away, may not have. But what about if these services said, you know what, until you get 500 likes, we're not going to list anything, and then we're just going to stair-step it in increments of 500 or 1,000. Would that help or not? That would probably make things worse because I remember when I first started on YouTube to be a YouTube partner, you needed like, you didn't need anything. Anyone could monetize. But then they said you need like this many lifetime views. Then they changed it to this many subscribers. When I finally hit the thousand subscriber mark, I saw that then they added lifetime (laughs) watch hours. And I'm like, you keep moving the goalposts. You people are jerks. And it's like they keep moving these goalposts and you have to get 4,000 lifetime, 4,000 hours of watch time in one year. And let's say you had a really good month in a year. After that year passes, you lose all those watch, those watch hours, not lifetime, but in a certain year. And they're just driving me insane. Yeah. So here's so look into live and look into just like putting stuff repeats over and over. Like maybe it's a countdown clock or a count up clock because people will watch. Boys, thanks for joining us. What are your thoughts on likes and whether we should have them on Facebook and Instagram and how we get around this social media negativity? Well, we all know the whole point of the cell phone is now only for social media companies to deliver dopamine. That's all it is. They're trying to get you hooked on that dopamine thing and you to click that button. And if you guys have ever seen the, uh, what do you call it? The social media dilemma or whatever it's called, that documentary about it. Social dilemma. Yeah, there you go. It's, it's good and bad. Just like kind of system has good and bad. But when they start being exclusive and not allowing certain small people to come up, I think that's pretty counterintuitive to growth. And it's just another form of means testing. I'm um, saying you got to be good enough, but you can't just start out. They, in other words, they make money off of you while you work for free and they make money off of you. So I don't, I don't really support that idea of minimal entry points and stuff like that. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I think about, when I was listening, I was thinking about TikTok, which you don't have to laboriously build up your subscriber count and this and that to get there and that, you know, they'll pluck you out and put you in front of people. And I don't know if it's more democratic. It just, it feels more like opaque, as I said before, but I'm not sure opacity is better or worse either. Well, I think we should make some kind of litigation or a regulation by the government to say, got to be transparent with your with policies as far as like banning people and demonetizing and, you know, stuff like that to help the creators actually to help us, you know, because I mean, they ban people and they strike you down and they throttle videos just willy nilly but they want the government to protect them at the same time. So I think it's kind of a catch-22 there. Yeah, I don't know, Cassie, what you think, but I do know that there are certainly things that these platforms do that I do not agree with, and this is certainly one of them. But I do know a lot of the people that work at some of these platforms, and in the main, they are principled, hardworking, trying to do the right thing. Not all of them. And we do see a lot of bad behavior and bad acting, but I think it's hard to paint everybody with a single brush. Yeah, I think that there will always be, quote unquote, bad actors, especially when we're we have unleashed not only a technology, but a social almost new building of a lineage for humanity when it comes to communication. 
we're all navigating this as new explorers right now, including the people who are at these businesses. So the optimist in me wants to think that most of these businesses will optimize for humanity at some point over profit. But at the same time, I know that profit is a giant tug. So I think there are definitely good people. I think there are well-meaning people. And I think there are things in place, guardrails and guidelines that do look after creators as well. But there are so many unknowns that it's almost like the tail's wagging the dog right now. And we have to just remain vigilant. And as we see things, call them out and work through it together. Right. But Cassie, also, I'm wondering, like, where's the accountability? Like, there's always accountability. But it seems like if you are a big YouTuber, like a huge name with over, let's say, 200,000 subscribers, if one day your account just like dies for no reason, you have you get in touch with your community, maybe through Instagram or Twitter and say like, hey, like this wasn't fair. This is what they did to me. But for the smaller people, when that happens to you and you don't have a following, Who's there to like help you or after all the hard work that you put in or after all those like uh, months of creating videos and everything just disappearing into that void I was talking about. So there has to be some kind of accountability mechanism. And definitely, yeah, definitely. I think there needs to be not not only accountability, but support, right? Because Mm -hmm. without the creators of all with communities of all sizes, the platforms don't exist. So there has to be both support and accountability. I agree with you on that. Well, I think there's a a fallacy that I see among creators, and I've heard and talked to and said this before, but I'm going to say it again. These platforms are public companies. They exist to deliver returns to their shareholders. They don't exist to make creators' lives better. They don't exist to grow creators except where their interests are aligned. And there is a sense of, I'm not saying, Ariel, I'm not saying you have this, Boyce, I'm not saying you have this, but I have heard from creators that, why is YouTube doing this to me? Why is Facebook doing this to me? In the end, they are a business and their business is making money for their shareholders and their investors. It sucks, but you can't expect or trust that they are going to do things that align with you, which is why as creators, we all have to be mercenaries. Well, and I will also say that we need to be as creators more responsible for maintaining our connections and our access to our viewers. That's why I started a website. That way I have an email list and stuff. I own my relationship. I don't only let other platforms control my audience, if you will, to just one day just cut you off because you say the certain thing or whatever it might be. It goes against their guidelines or whatever. But I think all creators need to have their own platform to maintain that relationship. Yeah, boys, you are so smart. I wish more people did what you do. We will hear more about that. I actually have uh, the guy who runs Google Web stuff for creators coming to speak at FidCon in the U.S. this year. He's going to be talking about just that. And I heard this acronym over the weekend that I really like, which is BYOC, bring your own community. And to BYOC, mm-hmm. you have to have your own community. And Boyce, you're taking the first step to do that. Cassie, you seem like you agree. I'm sitting here nodding my head. Because it's not only bring your own community, but it's bring your own creativity, right? Because if you are offering something of value, if you're offering something to people that is likable in one place, then you should be able to have that happen in another place. And I think too, I'm with you, Jim, and that a lot of creators think that platforms do sometimes owe them something. And I've seen this for years and years and years. And it's like, well, actually, no. The only people that owe you anything is kind of you to yourself and you what you're creating to your community. 
And from that perspective, then whether or not a platform doesn't like your hashtag or doesn't like what you're talking about, if the community likes you, they'll follow you. I agree with that like wholeheartedly myself, because I remember telling some of my best friends on Twitter spaces, like, look, anything can happen at any time. If you value our relationship, I don't mind DM me like an email or a phone number, maybe you're comfortable with one or none, because those are the forms of communication where if I made a real bond can never be cut off. And they weren't giving me a tip jar. So I just put a PayPal link up there. <laughs> like, why would I, why would I need to, or even with YouTube, I just, if super chat is going to take, you know, a percentage, I'll just give you my PayPal link. Why go through a middleman? Exactly. Hey, we're going to move on to our next segment. I want to both Boyce and Ariel give you guys a couple seconds to with last thoughts on this one. And then if you want, invite you into our next segment, our last segment, which is our news loop, where we take four stories. Cassie and I each take turns introducing them. And then the other has about 10 to 15 seconds to respond. So if you'd like to join us and respond to our news stories in 10 or 15 seconds and be part of our last segment, love to have you guys stick around. Otherwise, you know, I guess Boyce, we'll start with you. Got a couple seconds to wrap this up and what you think, and then I'll move on to you, Ariel, and then we'll move to our news loop. I would just say this for anybody trying to even start a channel or start some kind of a community is use the free platforms for what they're there for to start building a community. Once you have a build out, or you proved your concept, this thing I'm doing is buildable, then build it somewhere else on your own, on your own website. You have to invest in yourself by purchasing a website. It just costs resources. You have to invest in yourself more than anybody else will to really, before you can expect anything else. So use the free stuff or what it's there for to build, but you can't expect a long-term commitment from them. You are using their free platform and they have to make money off your content. Yep. Ariel, anything to add? Yeah, I'll just echo what Boyce said. And yeah, just if you can't go through them, go around them and migrate your communities if they're really there for you and they're really not there for the platform. Yep. Cassie, final words. I agree with all the boys. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, with that. It's time for the news loop here on Inside the Creator Economy. And Cassie, you have the first story. Twitter has listed a new subscription service on the app stores that says the social media giant has indicated that they are going to have something called, quote unquote, Twitter Blue listed soon as an in-app purchase. It's looking like it's about €2.50 in the UK, 3 bucks in the USA. There are no details about it other than it is a subscription service in which it looks like you can do undo tweets. Yeah, for me, this is a big one only because it feels like every single week Twitter's doing something and I know they have to to figure out what they're doing with monetization. But to me, it feels a bit scattergun with all of the different offerings. And what I want to know is between all of us, I just want to know when we're going to be able to edit our typos. (laughs) Ariel, what do you think? 10 seconds. I really don't care. I mean, I'll just delete it and put another (laughs) one up. I'm I'm not paying you for something that you should have provided. All right, boys. Never. It's a carrot. (laughs) It's a carrot. All right. Well, my take on this one is when I heard the term Twitter blue, all I could think of was, is that their OnlyFans competitor? (laughs) All right. We're going to move on to our next story. Our next story is paparazzi. Hopefully you heard of paparazzi. Paparazzi is the latest darling of the Silicon Valley set and of, I don't know, rose to the top of the charts on the Apple bulb store last week. 
It's a photo app, a little bit like Dispo, but instead of having the gimmick of things don't develop for 24 hours, the way Paparazzi works is it disables the selfie cam. And so all you can do is take pictures of your friends and other things. It won't let you take pictures of yourself. Okay, so my take on this is, it's just a gimmick. Is this really what teens want? And it is so funny to see 30-year-old, 40-year-old, 50-year-old Silicon Valley venture capitalists looking to figure out what the next big app that a 14-year-old girl is going to want to use. And I wrote this up and I was like, this is crazy. This is just going to nobody's, you know, it's going to be a flash in the pan. It's going to rise up and rise down. But then I just read earlier today, does it benchmark one of those big Silicon Valley venture firms? By the way, I live in Silicon Valley, so they're right around the corner. Probably going to come burn my house down for saying this. Just put $20 million into paparazzi at a valuation of $120 million. This is not the next clubhouse. I don't even think clubhouse is the next clubhouse. This is not the next dispo. I don't think dispo is the next dispo. It's a photo (laughs) app with a gimmick. Boyce, what do you think? Absolute waste of investor capital. It is not even a flash in a pan. It's barely a, I just don't get the point of it. It The market's not asking for it. I just don't get it. Yeah. Ariel? It just seems like pandering. And it reminds me of that time when Mark Zuckerberg went in his backyard and he's like, I'm smoking these meats. Meats like a brisket. And then they made like a whole song out of that. It was hilarious. He's, he's talking about smoking meat. It's like, yes, you're a human too, Mark. Okay, we understand now. It's like, All right, well, I'm going to go smoke me some brisket after this then. And maybe I'll raise $30 million from the venture firm around the corner. Cassie, what's your take? My grandmother is whispering in my ear from beyond the grave. And she would say to to all of us, Jim, she'd say these people have more money than good sense. Because as it goes, like if you're like me and you're a little bit tall and you got these long arms, you just flip that camera around. You just use what you got. Right. So I think I'm with you guys. It's what a waste of money. And it feels like old white guys telling young girls what they need to do. And I'm no. (laughs) You know what it feels like? It feels like, because I lived it here in Silicon Valley in San Francisco, it feels like 2000, 2001, when the dot-com crash happened. Could paparazzi be the Pets.com sock puppet of this decade? (laughs) Could be. Your story, Cassie. This story, what another whopper. You'll see where I'm going with that. Vegan Zone. Have you guys heard of Vegan Zone? It is a community-based platform for... vegans and vegetarians and it has received a first round of funding for three million dollars from an istanbul-based investment firm i read an entire article on this i wasted five minutes of my life and i giggled through it because i mean aren't vegans like crossfitters everyone already knows you're a vegan and if you are one why not just use an already existing platform or app to connect and share and curate and tell your friends about all your jazzy vegan recipes? Like $3 million to have only vegans share that they're vegans? Boyce, what do you think? An echo chamber to talk about an echo chamber. It's like a Harley (laughs) Davidson. The first time you buy a Harley, all, all of a sudden, all they wear is Harley shirts, Harley hoodies, Harley hats, Harley boots. It's just a weird little cult thing. I don't get it. Ariel? I'll just echo boys. I, I really couldn't care less at this point. I will say, I'm going to take the <laughs> contrarian viewpoint here. I do like the idea of micro communities coming together to share things that are of interest to each of them. 
And we were just talking about Facebook and Instagram and likes and how terrible they are. Well, what if instead of having one big, broad social network or three or four that we all belong to, we had smaller ones that catered to our specific needs and our specific interests and the things that we were passionate about so that we could leave all that other dreck and flotsam and jetsam and just push it out of our lives. So in the end, I think these individual social networks are okay. Frankly, I don't think they're going to make any money, and I think it's $3 million wasted. But I really do like the idea of these smaller networks. I don't know, Cassie, any response to that? I love the idea of smaller networks, but my brain just goes, start a group. Start a group. Start a Discord server. Come on, guys. (laughs) Just start a Discord server. And by the way, $3 million doesn't sound like a lot. What do you think of $20 million going into paparazzi? Oh, man. I think what we've really come to is we're just wasting money. I yeah. think that's what we've come to. We're, well, it is it is a frothy bubble. I think that's what we've I, come to. I don't want to get too <laughs> political, but it's like, oh, no, like our welfare programs. Hey, an app? Yeah, millions of dollars. There you go. <laughs> too much money chasing too few interesting ideas in the creator economy today. I'll just right. leave it at that. And now we're going to move on to our last story. Okay, this one. We were talking about Bella Porch earlier, and if you haven't heard Bella Porch's new single, it's actually quite good. It has a great message. The music video, they spent probably more than what they just invested in Vegan Zone to make this music video. So go check it out. But now there is a TikTok music channel on SiriusXM, which is the U.S. satellite radio service. I subscribe to I love SiriusXM. I am not adding the TikTok music channel, though. <laughs> to my Sirius XM lineup. Ariel, do you use Sirius XM? Would you listen to a, a TikTok music channel as you drive uh, to work? I'm not that serious about it, no. No, you're not that serious about it. <laughs> Boys, what do you think? I don't listen to a lot of music anymore. I just like doing audiobooks. I like to learn while I'm driving instead of being, uh, you know, dull music in the background. I have no idea who this person you referenced is. I have no clue who this is. So I'm just out of the loop on that entire economy. I have well, no idea who it is. You might need to listen to this channel just so you can get up to speed, although I don't recommend it. Cassie, <laughs> if you could get SiriusXM in New Zealand, you'd be beating a path down to the TikTok door, right? You know I would. I'd be TikToking, you know, from here to the New World in Devonport. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I am stuck in my ways. I would definitely still be listening to old country music. I hope they figure out a way out of the bland trap. That's all I can say. Well, thank you guys very much. That's it for this week's Inside the Creator Economy. Spread the word. I want to remind everybody to tell all your friends. We're here every Monday at 4 p.m., except Cassie doesn't know this, but two weeks from now we might have to do it on Tuesday because I'm on an airplane. I'm sorry about that. But uh, tell all your friends, 4P Pacific Monday. Next week we will be talking about more. I actually want to dive into Bring Your Own Community next week. Maybe we'll talk about that. I'll see if I can find an interesting story on that. But until then. That's it for Inside the Creator Economy. I'm Jim Lauterbach. I'm Cassie Roma. Thanks for joining us, and we will be here next week. Until then, it'll be sad for you because we won't be with you, but we'll be back. 